Canadian Pacific was founded in 1881 and was formed to physically unite Canada and Canadians from coast to coast. Today, CP is a transcontinental railway in North America, providing rail services to key markets in every corner of the globe. Giving back to the communities they operate through is important for CP. Since 2014, their focus has been on cardiac health. Through their CP Has Heart program, CP has helped raise over $23.3 million for cardiac causes across North America. Physical activity is very important to heart health. CP is proud to sponsor Goals for Kids with the Calgary Flames, a program which benefits minor hockey, Calgary, and kids sport. For each home goal by the Flames, CP donates $500. Since 2007, CP has donated over $215,000 to kids sport. CP would like to remind everyone listening that February is Heart Month and encourage everyone to stay active, eat healthy, and have fun. This podcast is provided in part by Sport Calgary, partners of Kids Sport Calgary. Sport Calgary, tired of searching dozens of websites for local sports events? Visit www.sportcalgary.ca and find hundreds of local events, everything from community gatherings to summer camps to tournaments. Sport Calgary presents the Face First Podcast with your hosts, Alicia Rissling and Grace Defoe. And here they are sliding right on in, Grace and Alicia. And welcome back to the Face First Podcast. I'm your host, Alicia Riz Rizzling, and I'm joined by my, my co-host. Yeah, I'm here too. <laughs> my name is Grace Defoe. And uh, yeah, looking forward to chatting a bit more today. Pardon? <laughs> Who we got lined up? Who we got lined up? Well, today we have a very special guest. Um, some would refer to him as Calgary royalty. We have Mr. John Cornish joining us, former Calgary Stampeder, former Lou Marsh Award winner, uh, former uh, University of Kansas football player, and now professionally taking over some pretty big roles and and being a community uh, leader for our community. Welcome, John. Hello, ladies. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Um, so <laughs> Grace and I have it's been a little bit out of practice. We've been very different. We've been running around the world to different parts of the time. So we're a little bit uh out of out of the flow here, but we're very happy to have you, John. Um, and one of the, why don't you just start with uh, taking us a little bit about your story? Tell us about you know your 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 where you started with sports and what sports you played growing up. This is a, a um, kids sport podcast after all. Yeah, I uh, I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to play a lot of different sports, um, but the real the real thing that helped me was that you know my mom didn't have a vehicle. So I always needed uh, my teammates to help me get to games. So their parents were driving us uh, wherever. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, we, we'd get back from the game. and My mom would ask the other parent how I did. And, you know, I remember playing baseball and, uh, you know, the, the other parent was complaining that I was shooting airplanes out of the sky rather than trying to catch the ball. So there were some sports I, I did better at, some sports I didn't. And, and I noticed very early on that I was, I was pretty fast. So it was... Um, any sport that could take advantage of my speed, I did well. And so then I started finding uh, uh, lacrosse, um, soccer, and then eventually football. And, and once I started playing football, I was like, okay, this is this is really the only sport I should play. Um, but also I played uh, a little bit of basketball. So between the two of those sports, that's what pretty much took me through high school. I go down to, to the University of Kansas, continue playing football. But I also have the opportunity to play a little bit of basketball. And, uh, you know, I was always like one of those hustle guys. I wasn't really the best shooter. 
So I could give good defense. So I had the opportunity to play uh, defense versus the University of Kansas All-Stars like uh, Kirk Heinrich, Nick Collison, Drew Gooden, uh, you know, future NBA players. Um, and then obviously football was, uh, it worked pretty well for me too. <laughs> Not a big deal. So back up here a sec. So when you played basketball down there, were you like a practice squad or what was going on with that? Yeah, it was practice squad. Yeah, I was just, I was amazing. Just That's awesome. Was that an opportunity that you knew? No. I'm sorry. Was that a pro an opportunity that you knew you had prior to going down there or no. did it just kind of fall in your lap while you were there? Yeah, I, uh, I pretty much, um, like so during the off season, the basketball guys would come to the the, the facility to play. Um, like, mm -hmm. this is just a community area. So they would basically just come out to just really show up all the kids on campus. Um, and, you know, I I could keep up with them sort of speed-wise. Uh, so then they uh, they created an opportunity for me to just go hang out on, on the court, just provide some defense and stuff. I mean, it was only like one or two seasons. But it was still... Uh, I mean, like I, I was—I ne never considered myself a good basketball player, uh, but to have the opportunity to play against those guys—I mean, that's not something I would—I would soon forget. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's something you absolutely can brag about now. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. And then, so did you play four years of eligibility? Yeah. So I had the—I uh, actually came in. I was actually one of the youngest players to play Big Twelve football. I had the the late birthday, um, mm -hmm. so I, I uh, played. Uh, you know, in my true freshman year at 17, I, I, play, I think I played one game. Uh, you know, one thing I was, it was fast. The one thing I wasn't when I got to the university was strong. So I got I got blown away a bunch of times by much, people much bigger than myself. And then uh, sort of after the first time I played, they were like, actually, you know, you're just going to get a medical red shirt. And so, so they, they benched me for the rest of the season. So that year didn't count against my eligibility. And then going forward, I, I had another four years. So I had, I don't know, five good years down in Kansas. Wow. That's pretty incredible, especially to even have the opportunity to suit up. And as a as a 17-year-old, you had to learn a rookie. I know that doesn't happen very often. And what did you study for while you were down there? Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately, I, I came in and I wanted to do uh, computer science. And, you know, it was, it was problematic, apparently, at Kansas. They only had the computer science courses, like some of the core courses were only offered in the afternoons. Um, so for me, unfortunately, that meant I couldn't take those classes and thus couldn't major in computer science because it interfered with football practice. So I thought, you know, what's the next best thing? I was like, you know, humans are sort of like computers, sort of cognitive science and those kinds of things. So I ended up in psychology and that's where I ended up graduating um, after five years. <laughs> Not too shabby. Yeah, pretty impressive. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I mean, I don't I, like psychology. I think it's still considered one of the easiest undergrads, um, and actually one of the ones that you can do the, the least with. Uh, however, I do feel a, a good liberal arts education is a pathway to any kind of job, except for like sort of STEM stuff. But <laughs> <laughs> well, but there's something to be said about just learning to learn and and you know, setting goals, AKA having the course outline and having to meet them. And that teaches you for everything post, post sport, post for your career. So there's something to be said about completing your education and, and what it gives you still, no matter what it's in. Grace, it's a very positive outlook. Uh, you know, I, I, I certainly, I certainly agree. I mean, you, you set off, uh, you know, it's like what, what degree should I get? And then you actually get it. 
I mean, that, that's that's great. I, I do feel, though, um, you know, like, school was awesome, and I very much appreciated my time, uh, you know, but, like, you know, there's there's always, uh, I think, uh, maybe I should have taken this course, or maybe I should have studied this. I've always, I've always, that's one not regret, but it's always a question that I've had, like, what if I was more prepared for, for getting into my, uh, getting into my studies in university, what would I have taken in those cases? You know, I think that's a lot of things that athletes that go directly into a program with the primary goal of you're getting education paid for, or partially paid for um, right out of high school. And, and a lot of times people go in completely blind, like not knowing what they, they really truly want to do. So, um, I mean, the best thing you can do, I think, is, and that's why so many people end up with your, your tailored, you know, arts degree, which, you know, it's like basically saying... <laughs> I just want to set the groundwork and and do the best I can here while I have this opportunity. And then I think a lot of people learn, like, you know, some, pe some people figure it out right from the get-go. Some people figure it out a couple of years into university. It's like, actually, I want to go a little bit more of this direction. And some people don't figure it out till 10 years later. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's certainly true. And, you know, I, I had a lot of buddies that graduated with communications. Uh, you know, just, just you know, they, they show up at university, they get their degree, um, and then they just sort of finish up. And, you know, I, I did sort of have a little bit longer term uh, focus with psychology. I knew, uh, you know, I, sort of finance was interesting. But, you know, like my first few finance courses at, at the University of Kansas sort of dealt with some ideas that I wasn't entirely comfortable with, like um, sort of like uh, infinite resources and and uh, completely rational actors in terms of economics. Um, so So I actually waited. Um, to take my finance courses, rather taking the psychology and with a focus on like behavioral economics. Um, and because I thought that was a good idea. Like most people are not rational actors. Most people aren't going to make the best decisions for themselves. Um, and so sort of like I did still have sort of the end goal in mind. But, you know, at, at 17, and this is this is one reason why my wife and I actually talk about like gap years. Like, is it is it a positive for a kid to take a year between uh, high school and college? And I think it's an open question, but there, there's definitely some value in having some opportunity to get some perspective and uh, sort of plan out your future. And I definitely was raised that that was not allowed, but, um, <laughs> you know, I think a little bit more society is a little more open to that and that I did have a friend who took the year off and then she knew directly what program she wanted to go to. And as a, as a person who had to pay for her education, um she didn't waste any money if you think about it that way so i think there's definitely some value in saying that for sure um what happened after university then so were you uh did you have any nfl offers was your was it your goal to pursue playing sports um before you came up to the cfl or what happened there yeah so i did i did actually had 24 nfl offers um well, not a big deal like I wasn't drafted, which was it was a little bit of a surprise. In the final season at Kansas, I had set the record. Um, you know, I was finished uh, before bowl games. I was number five in the nation in rushing. Like so, you no, know, a lot of good positives. Um, but like you know, I went to the Shrine game, and like honestly, I, I sort of felt like a piece of meat. And then, then like my my overall experience in Kansas was was oh, like it's super positive except for one aspect every time i left the parking lot driving like in my car i got pulled over like when i say every time i mean consistently 100 of the time i would be pulled over for 
for some BS. Like, you know, you rolled through that stop sign or you didn't put on your blinker here or, or whatever. So I, like, we, when I, ha- you, I have the degree of interactions with the police, um, mm-hmm. unsolicited, um, I, I think unwarranted, I started getting a little bit scared uh, for, for my safety. I mean, like, when the cops, walk, like, un, unclips their gun and has their hand on the gun walking up to your car, like, almost on a daily basis, like, it doesn't make you feel very safe. Um, to put it in perspective, uh, this, the TV show Cops is filmed uh, at about, like, 45 minutes away from Lawrence, Kansas. Um, so, so, like, I started feeling really unsafe down in the States. And in that played a, a role in me not caring about the NFL combine. I was invited to the combine and I like I played video games the entire time I was there. I mean, obviously I showed up for the training and stuff, but like my goal in life wasn't to make a bunch of money playing sports. It was to win the Lou Marsh trophy. And I knew that there may be some questions associated with that staying down in the States. I didn't know uh, how, how that would end up playing out. Um, the Calgary Stampeders had sent a, I mean, quite a bit of love down my way um, at the Shrine game and at these different places. And it sort of became known that I didn't really want to play NFL football, So, I, which was true. So when I, I, I very much excitedly returned to Canada and, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to, to play for the Calgary Stampeders, uh, get to know uh, the coach at the time. Um, but, you know, I, I would say my career really started in Calgary in 2008 with the arrival of John Huffnagle. Wow, what an incredible story and, and so admirable of you for, for having a goal and, and sticking to it. I didn't even know what the Lou Marsh Trophy was until I got into bobsled, but I mean, it's an incredible, incredible honor. Um, and look at that, that your goal came true. <laughs> well, I mean, like, uh, you know, to, to go back further, um, mm-hmm. 1996, you have uh, Donovan Bailey winning the, the uh, 100 meter track. Yes. Uh, world's fastest man. And, and here was, a, like, the first real sports athlete, like, that I got to see that was Canadian mm-hmm. uh, that, that did something, right? Like, I mean, we, of course, there's Wayne Gretzky's and Mario Lemieux. But, you know, Don Bailey, he's bald, right? I'm mm-hmm. bald, too. And this is, like, I, all of a sudden, like, there's, there's an, a sense of identification um, yeah. with, with him. And I was like, you know, if he can do it, I can do it, too. And I just, that kind of motivation was, you know, that was sort of the sole driver of my entire sports career. Because, I mean, I wasn't some huge sports nut. Like, I don't even watch sports. Um, I just had the drive to to sort of, uh, you know, join that that elite club of the 50 or so athletes on, on the list of Blue Marsh trophy winners. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty incredible, too have achieved that and um it is quite an honor i unlike alicia have known what the lou marsh is probably since i was very very young um uh i do have a question though and you talked about feeling unsafe in the um in the states and i'm just wondering how like obviously you chose to return to canada but what has your experience been like in calgary like do you feel do you feel like you're safe in the city and has that played a role in why you kind of stuck around this area post sport well i mean uh you know like when I was going back and forth between Vancouver and Calgary, when I was playing, you know, a season here in Calgary and then going back home to Vancouver for the off season. Like, honestly, I have, I've only had, I no, I haven't had any negative experiences with the police in Calgary. However, in Vancouver, pretty much any time I left the bar, 
um, like walking home with my buddies who the cops would follow us. They'd like pull up, put their sirens on, make it get us to give them our IDs and just generally harassed. I mean, the worst story I have, and, and honestly, one of the reasons why I choose not to live in Vancouver is because I left the bar. I mean, I've been an athlete for a long time. I know that you have to be the DD or you don't drive. It's, it's that simple. Um, you know, so I, I was the, the, the DD. Uh, so, you know, leave the bar with my buddy. He goes his car. I go to my car. I have to go back to pick up my friends. I get into the car feeling pretty good. It was a fun night. I was hanging out with a uh, fellow uh, Calgary Stampeder, Ryan Thelwell there. It was great. It was a fun night. Uh, hop in my car, start to pull out. And then, so it's a one-way road I'm about to pull out onto. And then two cop cars come up the road. Two cop cars come down the road, sealing me in. Eight cop cars, uh, cops get out. And I'm standing here just like, oh, okay. Uh, you know, these guys get out of the car. They recognize me. And it's like, Cornish, we got you, man. You're going to jail tonight. And I'm just like looking at these guys like, what? It's like, you're a detriment to society. People like you, scum. Like, they, mm-hmm. like each of these guys fit in their own, like, personal, like, attack on me. And I was just standing here. It's like, oh, okay, guys. Right? I was like, you got to do a breathalyzer. I was like, can I do a, a field sobriety test? I always wanted to do one because I... I've always had good balance. I wanted to like see how how far I could push it. It's like, no, you gotta do breathalyzer. I blow zero zero, right? Yeah. I didn't drink. I was D D. Yeah. But they yeah. still, still after that. So I blow the zero zero. They're incredulous that I blew zero zero. And then they still berate me for another five minutes. And it doesn't end until I ask them, officers, am I being detained? And then they gave me back my keys. Right? But it was such a disturbing event. That, like, by the time I pull my car around, wait, pick up my friends that are waiting, I can't drive. Like, I'm I'm distraught because I've just been berated for 15 minutes by these cops. Yeah, it's um, a scary, so, not so, awful feeling. Yeah. So, you know, that, that was Vancouver for me. So, mm-hmm. that left, uh, left, left Vancouver behind. Calgary has been a different issue. Um, honestly, uh, you know, never had an issue with the cops. I have many friends on the police force here. Love mm-hmm. um, one of my good friends is a police commissioner, mm-hmm. um, but you know I've had, uh, you know I go for walks all the time in my neighborhood. We go up to Nose Hill. Uh, we have a lot of nice, uh, you know, pat greenways and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then you know I get followed by some woman for a reason I still don't know to this day. You know mm-hmm. she's just screaming at me and my wife. Um, if we don't want your kind here. Um, and then she eventually, like, get like she pulls up beside us, and I just make sure that I get her license plate just mm-hmm. just for safety. And she she pulls like tries to like drive away fast, and then she gets out of her car. She says, "You know, we don't want your kind here. You know, we don't want you in our neighborhood. Leave and never come back." And like I literally live like two blocks away. It's just like what the <laughs> hell is going on? Uh, so, so you know, and that was that was last year. That was in what June of last year. Or shortly before George Floyd's death, I think it was three days before George Floyd's death. <laughs> so you know, you know that that week was it was a scary week, right? Yeah. So I, I for society, it's a scary yeah. week. It was a, it's been a scary year. Well, scary, yeah. I mean, this just speaks volumes to. I mean, myself as a you know white girl growing up in Canada and and 
my ignorance of now that this whole Black Lives Matter has come out, and I think the biggest thing that's come out is the education that um, we've been getting that, you know, this stuff isn't just happening in the southern U.S., like, it's happening right at home and and this racial injustice, and um, I've just been so happy to, like, get an education on things moving forward, and 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 it's easy for us to kind of, like, turn an ignorant, blind eye that's like, no, that doesn't happen here, like, you know, better, and, and this is just another example that, you know, it's happening on our doorsteps, and um it has to end <laughs> um because yeah, it's true i mean like yeah. until last year i had not had experienced like a racial incident here in in alberta right mm -hmm. so like i i was on like i had a lot of friends and a lot of stories that i had heard mm -hmm. but it never yeah. happened to me personally so it's, i think it's really easy to not recognize it's here because you haven't seen it yourself yeah well that's yeah. still not an excuse not to know any better though <laughs> <laughs> Um, and that brings us to this month is Black History Month, and you are now working with the Calgary Chamber of Commerce. Can you just talk a little bit about what your role is there and what you guys are doing? Yeah, the, the Calgary Black Chambers is uh, a group that I decided to set up after sort of a, a lot of experience in Calgary, um, you know, going to a million different events, but sort of like recognizing that the events didn't sort of like calgary's canada's third most diverse city but these events weren't reflecting that right like they, they predominantly looked one way mm -hmm. so i thought maybe maybe we we could do something about that um you know i saw a black person here a black person there um but more importantly i sort of knew about the plight of black people in calgary i mean if, if you take any kid right um if if you take a black kid he's three times more likely to be living in poverty than than any other uh, sort of relation right like if, if you if you're any other um, race mm -hmm. if you take uh, a, a random black man and another person working the same job in calgary the black man makes twenty thousand dollars less so so these are these are stats cans numbers and I just yeah i just rec recognized that there was a huge issue there um, and like, you know, I volunteered 400 hours with the Children's Hospital and uh, Calgary uh, Foundation. You know, I was a full heart volunteer, but I had been thinking about putting together my own group for a long time. I was like, maybe, maybe this is the thing that we try to tackle. The Calgary Black Chambers uh, started off by me running up to people on the street. Like, you know, it wouldn't be acceptable COVID, but, you know, before COVID, <laughs> you could run up to people on the street. I interact mm -hmm. with them, uh, you know, get the contact details. And so the first meeting, we had 45 people. Uh, wow, that's that a good turnout. All, all uh, make a change. And now we're up to 300 uh, people. We have, uh, you know, sort of 40 direct supporters, um, like financial supporters of the Calgary Black Chambers. We have um, five fin uh, financial corporate sponsors. Um, so then all of a sudden we have eight scholarships. We have 55 mentors. Um, we have our pilot program with uh, Father Lacombe School, all sort of based off of our four pillars, which are advocacy, you know, providing a voice for the community, a unified voice, um, and then uh, fellowship, you know, tightening the knit of the different uh, African diaspora groups in, in Calgary. Um, then scholarships, which, uh, like I mentioned, we have eight scholarships already. We'll be distributing um, come June of this year. And I know uh, Calgary Flames and Calgary Sports and Entertainment Group are a, l a large part of that. And then um, and then our mentorship program, which is 
you know, me uh, having the opportunity to uh, deliver a soft skills course we developed, as well as uh, giving our, our kids enrolled in the program a one-on-one mentor. Um, so they, they get to be paired with mentors that are in the spaces that they would want to go. And our mentorship program is open to kids of all colors and, and stuff. So we've, we've been pairing uh, kids off with, uh, you know, KPMG gave us 10 uh, mentors. And we have a lot of mentors from the community, Alberta physicians, working alongside them for uh, even more mentors. Like, it's been pretty incredible to see the, the outpouring of support for this group. Um, so we're now we're in a position where we can expand our services and continue to help kids um, that might not have the same leg up um, with, with that leg up to, to provide some additional context. Uh, I know when I was playing football, I was at the top of my career. Um, I knew that I was going to leave the game. And it was because of uh, our, my trainer, Pat Clayton, who introduced me to somebody, who introduced me to somebody else who became my mentor, that I had the pathway. I had the ABCs of how I was going to leave football and enter into uh, the profession where I currently am, wealth management with RBC. Um, you know, I, I had that plan because of a mentor. So now I'm in a place where I want to help the next generation with their planning so they can achieve the same uh, things that I wanted to do. Wow, that's incredible. And, and I think Calgary's so lucky to have you leading and, and working with all these awesome people in our community. Um, it's just so heartwarming to hear that that's happening in our city. I guess, and you spoke to a really important piece, that athlete transition can be really tough if you don't have necessarily a plan set up. And it sounds like you were very proactive in setting up and connecting with a mentor to kind of set up the ABCs and Ds, because I know Alicia and I have both transitioned from other sports into our current sports, and it's uh, not always the easiest mm-hmm. to do so. <laughs> Uh, you know, the, the athlete transition, I, I was, I don't want to say fortunate enough. I had the, the you know, the honor of playing with Joffrey Reynolds. But, you know, like when I took his job, I saw that his transition was not in place. There was mm-hmm. nothing there for him. And, you know, the, the outcome was not positive. So, so for me, I wanted to make sure that that didn't happen, one. Um, but also, you know, just try to work with other players um, to, to make sure that their transition was was as smooth as mine. Um, and I started off, actually, the, the first year um, trying to do something for football players with the, the Stampeders. Um, but it was one of those things where, you know, you know, sometimes you can't fill a glass that's already full. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's one thing to, to see me do something, but it's been a different thing to see these guys sort of come back later, get in contact with me. Oh, John, what do you do here? What do you do here? I think, I think you know, players are proud. Athletes are you know, proud. You've, you've had all the success. And it's, it's hard to accept um, that a thing that you wanted to be your entire life isn't the thing that you'll be your entire life. If you know what I'm saying. Really well put. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, well... Okay, so my next question is about this transition thing, though, is I know that you said you started to try and work towards it when you saw an end towards your career. Did you start taking this finance class while you were still an athlete, or how did that work? Yeah, so uh, when I received the Lumars Trophy, and I am... I'm Which was what year, sorry? This is at the end of 2013. 2013, okay. Yeah, so, so Jean Lefebvre, our at Stamps Media guy uh you told me john don't schedule work like he knew i was working at the bank don't schedule work this day 
So I was like, you know, I might win this, so I'm going to schedule some work. Right? <laughs> so I, ske- I scheduled in work, but I scheduled in at not my, my office, like not my branch. I, I just scheduled in at the, the closest branch to my house. Um, okay. And and it was just like, so I'd never really even worked there. And then mm-hmm. I tell them when I get there, it's like, you know, we, we might be holding a press conference here. <laughs> <laughs> so then they're like, what, what? What are you talking about? So they start like struggling, calling the, the, the TD higher ups and like letting them know that there's going to be like photo shoot on the on the place and stuff. And then I get told that um, that I had won. I was like, okay, great. Yeah, let's do the press conference. John, do you want to come into the, the stamps office? No, no. We can just do it at uh, this TD branch. <laughs> so then we hold the, the, the Lumars press conference inside the, the branch that I'm working at. So I'm, I'm wearing my TD pin and, and uh, you know, my work gear and stuff. But it ended up being a, a fun event. But so I was already, I think, a year and a half into my banking career at that point. I was already considering myself a banker who was just lucky enough to play football. Um, but sort of from there, I got my securities examination. So I, then I became an advisor. Um, mm-hmm. And then actually in my final year of football, going into that season, I was studying for the Charter Financial Analyst Program, level one. Uh, you know, well, like a world-renowned accreditation that's also known as one of the hardest tests in the world, hardest three sets of tests. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, uh, I went into um, 2015 camp and I had to go to Huff to ask him something I had never asked Coach Huff before in my life. Coach, can I have the day off so I can go take this exam? It's a six-hour exam. And, you know, and Coach Huff, in this, in this uh, compassion, you know, gives me the day off. I get back to practice the following day. Cornish, where were you at? Who, who let Cornish go off? Like, all the coaches, all the players, like, where the hell was Cornish at? Um, but, you know, that was me taking that, that next step. Um, and then you'll know, come, come like three months later when we get the exam results, I had passed. So that was one of the greatest days of my life. I remember going to the locker room, so excited I'd passed. You know, I was telling everybody, like, you passed the test, who cares? Nobody cares. Nobody, <laughs> Nobody in the cares. Locker room cares. Does that get us I another knew. ring? No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I knew sort of at that point that I could, I could probably retire and be fine. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was good to have that done. And I think, actually, to be honest, the CFL and, and football is sort of structured in such a way that you can write that exam before the season starts. So you can spend your off-season just studying. Uh, so in my case, I was working out, working at the bank, and studying and volunteering. So, yeah, it was a busy off-season, but I, I think it worked no out. Kidding. What were you more excited for, passing your exam or winning the Grey Cup? Passing the exam. <laughs> <laughs> I you know, someone knew that was going to be the answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so passing passing the final exam was only at this point, sort of in perspective, was the second greatest honor of my life. Mm-hmm. First being Hall of Fame, but actually, so you know, I think I think now thinking of it, I can't forget about the John Cornish Trophy because I think that's at the end of it all. That's that's sort of my. But that's the thing that I say, you know, that's the final, that's the cherry on top. That's your legacy. Uh, so, yeah, that's the legacy play. So you got the Cornish Trophy, then you get, uh, you know, the CFA, uh, and then you get the, um, and then you get the Grey Cup. Of course, uh, you know, I hope Pop doesn't watch because he might have a different evaluation. Of, of <laughs> <laughs> he better, be, better get it straight. Um, just for our listeners, what is the John Cornish Trophy? 
Can you explain it? Yeah. So the John Cornish Trophy is a trophy housed at the Canadian Football Hall of Fame, presented to the best Canadian U.S. collegiate player. So the best uh, Canadian football player that plays in NCAA football. So to put in, uh, to talk about the previous winners, Chuba mm-hmm. Hubbard, who just rushed for over 2,000 yards um, mm-hmm. for Oklahoma State. Previous to that, it was Nathan Rourke, who was a two-time winner, and he was a quarterback, a Canadian quarterback at the U.S. school, leading them to winning records and winning bowl games, which is truly remarkable for a Canadian quarterback to even start in the States. Um, yeah. So, so the, the, the award itself was created to recognize um, these guys. So a person like myself, where, like, you know, you break all the records at Kansas, touchdown, rushing, and all these different things doesn't go sort of without recognition. Chase Claypool was the nominee. He wasn't a winner, but he's ripping up the NFL in a way that no mm-hmm. Canadian has really done before him. So it gives us an opportunity to recognize these guys that are really changing the game, but they're doing so as Canadians. And I, I think um, it gives them that much more credit. Uh, I know Truba, uh, he was recently mentioned in the, uh, unfortunately, the, the the trophy gives me um, Google alerts, so it's like I have my Google alert John Cornish, right? Cool, whatever. Yeah. But now the trophy triggers that, so anytime somebody mentions a trophy, I get to see what they're talking about, and it's it's cool to see the different places people get you know recognized as nominees now. And the trophy's only in its really its third year, so it's. it's pretty awesome <laughs> yeah i'd say that's pretty awesome a pretty awesome legacy to have and and one that will be you know recognized forever so that's congratulations on that on top of all your other wonderful <laughs> accomplishments um my next question for you is kid sport how and when did you start getting involved and what was the draw to it well i think you know I, i've always been uh, a pizza eater i guess so, uh, you know, the, the annual pizza pig route, uh, you mm-hmm. know, the proceeds were going to kids sport. Uh, that's when I got introduced to, to the group. And then, um, I guess, uh, while I was working at TD, um, you know, we made sure that, uh, we got, we spotted, uh, kids sports, some, some funds. So that's when I started interacting with them. But the, the truth is my, my, um, I've, uh, spoken at a few different kids sport events around the country. As well mm-hmm. as um, in the Calgary Foundation, uh, with the Doc Seaman Hockey Fund, we support kids' sport across the country as well. And there's a, there's a reason for this. For me personally, I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for the compassion and support of the parents and the the people that were able to help me with my registration fees. Right, like my family did not have a lot of money um, at the at the St. Thomas More. Um, they supported my my ability to play football. In fact, uh, this one story I always tell is uh, uh, that we played in the states once. We played a top U.S. school. In, in, this is high school, um, but I, my family didn't have the money to fly me down to the states. Um, so the school supported that, and we went down and won fourteen nothing against this team. And I scored the only two touchdowns of the game. So so it was like it, that kind of support that allowed me to do my thing. So that's why I so much feel for the, the mission of kids sport to help more kids get into sport. Like when I present to kids, I just tell them like, it's not so much that you have to be on the sport team or, 
or like it doesn't need to be sports, but being part of a team, like a community group, education group, church group, or an actual sports team is super important to, to learn that teamwork, to learn uh, how goals in a group like that are bigger than you. And, and I, that's why I want, I so support kids sports mission. That's amazing. Um, and you're here now, thanks to the generosity of that, of, of all the people you, when you were growing up and now you're paying it forward to, um, to our community. And for that, we're so thankful. Thank you guys for your All right. Just as a last thing, do you have any fun stories from Pizza Pig Out that you'd like to relive with us? Were you in any of the eating competitions? Yeah, I, I was in competition. So, like, my wife, uh, like, she doesn't support me uh, competing to eat. Okay. She's seen me win a lot of competitions, but she <laughs> doesn't. She doesn't like sort of, I guess, almost the girlness, like the 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 raw aggression. Like, I've been competing in food eating contests for a long time. Okay. I also realized like this isn't just not, a new thing. It's not a new thing. When I when I like this is a going back to high school, an ice cream eating contest. Ice cream is really hard to eat. Like to stuff your face with half a liter of ice cream, it's it's really Brain difficult. Freeze. Right. But if you can overcome that with, with that uh raw, like primordial sort of aggression, then then you can fight through the, the brain freeze. I'm sure you ladies know like it's it's you know, sometimes that thing that gets you over the hump, the last thing is just like really harnessing that that internal animal, that internal fire. Um, so yeah, she doesn't like to see me just like scarfing. Uh, she likes to see me be a healthy guy. She knows I've lost like a lot of weight since I played football and you know, I'm living a healthy life. But when it comes to eating competition, the snow holds barred. Right. So at the pizza <laughs> big out, uh, you know, like it, it was it was many situations where uh, you know, I wasn't taking any prisoners and I was eating as much pizza as possible. And maybe, maybe it's because like she likes pizza so much and she doesn't want to see me eat all the pizzas myself. Um, but you know, like that's, uh, when we were at the, uh, I, I was it three, three years ago. Cause I haven't been allowed to compete for the last, last, so we didn't have one last year, but then the previous two years, I wasn't allowed to compete. Um, but previous to that, anytime that that trophy was up. I was I was up on stage, and it was time to go. And I know, mm-hmm. uh, I I would say that there's nobody gonna eat a pizza faster than me. I know uh, maybe Bruce Coverington might might disagree. Maybe there might be some other people that disagree. But I guarantee you, to this day, um, I've only won I lost one eating competition in my life, and it wasn't a competitive one. It was a ramen eating contest. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, but but if it's pizza. I'm going to win it. And so when and I pizza. open back up the next pizza pig up, I'm taking the championship. All right. You heard it here first, folks. So next pizza pig out, Eric Francis, uh, you should already get the engravement going because John Cornish's name is going on top of that trophy. <laughs> <laughs> John, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you, hearing your story. I was always a big fan of you watching the stamps and for, and I remember there was a couple times walking into you and seeing you at the TD bank is always a pleasure. And uh, now everyone can look for you working for RBC and out in the community and working with the Calgary Black Chamber of Commerce. Anywhere else that we can catch you? Uh, Any initiatives we should be following along on social media or anything like that? 
Yeah, I mean, we're going to be uh, working on a big initiative um, called Look Forward Calgary. And it's a, um, you could call it the Political Action Committee. Um, okay. And uh, I think that's uh, sort of what I could say now, but uh, you'll be seeing a lot more of me and uh, our group uh, sort of uh, as we get closer to the uh, city's election. That's that's awesome. So everybody look forward and, and I'll be looking for it for sure. Um, thank you again so much for joining us. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you, Grace. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. When you choose Shane Homes to build your home, you're getting much more than a quality constructed home. With over four decades of experience, Shane Holmes knows what most new home buyers are looking for. Shane's love it or customize it philosophy ensures home buyers don't need to settle on a home that doesn't capture what's important to their family. Tell Shane Holmes your vision and they'll make your dreams come true. Building homes in Calgary and Airdrie. Visit ShaneHolmes.com for more information. Shane Holmes, it's the better way to build.